Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is truth, that it is trustworthy, that it is authority, that you're speaking through it uh, into our lives, uh, and we thank you for it. Uh, and I pray that you'd speak it into our lives now. And Lord, enable me to proclaim your word to your people as you desire uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through, and, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac evoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of, his sons, uh, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ great, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do so, do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. <clears throat> Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn, to, sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I have a feeling that faith is one of the most misunderstood concepts uh, in Christianity. Uh, a lot of people don't understand it. It's been distorted in many kinds of ways. Uh, we talked last week about a number of the, the false ideas about faith that many, many people have. I won't go through all of those, uh, but it's essential for us to grab on to the meaning of faith. And certainly the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 11 are some of the most misunderstood and distorted when we're talking about faith. Yet faith is absolutely essential. Everybody lives by faith. Nobody does not live by faith. A scientist lives by faith in science. An atheist lives by faith in his own reason. Everybody lives by faith. And every single moment of the day we live by faith. You know, we've said this before, if you're coming up to, if you're driving and you come to a green light and you decide to drive straight on through the green light, you're doing that by faith. You're doing that on the faith that other people who are seeing the red light coming the other way are going to stop, or even by faith that there is a red light the other way and the lights aren't malfunctioning. We commit our lives every single day. We live our lives by faith. And so it's essential for us, especially as Christians, to understand what faith is and how it operates because we as Christians declare our faith is superior to other faith. We are saying that Christian faith is the faith by which people need to live 
if they are to have relationship with God, if they are to experience the promises of God. And so last week I talked about our basic definition of faith, which is Christian faith uh, is trusting and acting often beyond your own natural abilities based on uh, a true knowledge of God and God's ways founded in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so faith is this relational dynamic with God that is absolutely essential. Every day of our lives we live by faith. I've committed my whole life and many of you have committed your whole life uh, to this faith in Jesus Christ. The whole orientation of my life has been based on this faith and the orientation of your life, the fact that you got up this morning and braved the, the crazed runners crossing, you know, trying to cross the street and everything, demonstrates a certain degree of this whole issue of faith. And so this chapter from Hebrews is one of the most powerful chapters uh, about faith. Now, I'm not going to go through this exegetically, verse by verse, and talk about each thing. That, that's a good news, you know, because you could actually probably preach uh, for six months or so just from this passage. But I want to talk about the things that the writer to the Hebrews reveals to us about faith from this passage. And we'll see how far we go. I might not get through all 11, but there, there just so happened to be 11 things that came out of this passage that, that talks to us about this Christian faith by which we have to live and tries to give us understanding of what it's all about. So we begin at the beginning. Those first three verses are so key to the understanding of the chapter, but so often we don't understand it. It's easy not to understand it, by the way. The reason why is that the Greek in, Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews, I almost said the Greek in Hebrew, which didn't make sense. The Greek in the book of Hebrews is the most difficult Greek in the New Testament. And so native Greek speakers often will argue about the meaning of these verses as, uh, throughout the book of Hebrews, but especially here. And the writer in this place is using some fairly intensive philosophical language. It's not like Paul. I mean, Paul just gets in there, and sometimes he's philosophical, but most of the time he's very practical. Uh, John is highly relational in his writing. Uh, Peter is just kind of down to earth, you know, step by step, trying to help us persevere through suffering. But the writer to the Hebrews is trying to engage the imagination, specifically of Jewish people, Jewish Christians, and how Jesus relates to their Jewish heritage, and how all of these themes come together and find their culmination in Jesus Christ. And certainly that's part of the point of this whole passage is if we follow along his logic into chapter 12, because remember the chapters and verses are not in the original text, if we follow his logic into chapter 12, all of it leads down to the point in Jesus Christ. And we'll come back to that. Uh, we'll end with Jesus as we begin with Jesus here. But let's look at these different things. First of all, he says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. This word substance is translated in a lot of different ways uh, because it's a difficult word to interpret. But basically what this word is doing is connecting that which is 
which is not quite seen yet to your reality. This word is, is saying that when you have faith, that which you do not quite see, that's what you are hoping for, that which you are hoping for has a present reality to it, even though you don't see it. That's this whole idea behind the substance of things hoped for. And the other key on this is the word hope. Now, hope is not wish. Now, I might wish that the queen would invite me to tea. I joke about that a lot. But I have no hope that the queen will invite me to tea. I might wish that all of you would get together and take up a collection and buy me a brand new Mercedes. I might wish that that would happen, which I don't, by the way. I might wish that would happen, but I have no hope that that would happen. You know, because I know a lot of you, and, and I, you know, I know pretty much where we all are financially. So I don't have any hope on that basis. Uh, I might wish that the parliament would come together and act as one, but I have no hope that the parliament will come together and act as one. And why is that? In all of those situations, hope that is hope, biblical hope, is based on a true knowledge of that which you are hoping for. So in other words, because I can see what's happening in parliament, and I can see how it's fractured, I have knowledge of the parliament, and because I know the parliament, I have no hope that they are going to act in a way that's contrary to my knowledge of them. Is that making sense? When, when I'm asking, when I'm thinking about if, if I have no hope for Mercedes, because I know the reality of our church family, I know that we're not the, you know, the, the best and brightest super bankers that are getting multi-billion pound or multi-million pound you know, golden hellos or golden goodbyes or golden whatever. And I know that we're not that. And so because I know who we are, I have no hope for that. And I have no hope for that because I know myself, I don't want it. So why would I hope for something that I myself do not want? Does that make sense? So hope, biblically, has to be connected to a realistic expectation of getting what I'm hoping for. Otherwise, it's simply wishful thinking. And so we use hope a lot like we use love. You know, I say I love my wife and I say I love pizza. But my wife's not pizza. How can that be? It's because we understand there's different kinds the ways that we use the, the word love. Hope functions in the same way. So if you're hoping for something, that hope has to be based on some realistic future expectation that's based in some way, shape, or form on a promise. So, for example, when I, uh, when I proposed to Karen and I asked her to marry me and she said, yes, I will marry you. We knew when we set the date, you know, we weren't married when I proposed to her. But when she said yes, we were engaged, which means 
that we both had a realistic hope that we would be married. And I gave her a ring as a sign of that hope. So she could look at her finger and say, okay, my hope one day that we'll get married is going to be fulfilled. Does that make sense? And so that's what the writer here is saying. He's saying faith is reaching out ahead into the hope that we have and making it a present reality. But the hope that we have has to be based on a realistic expectation of something that's promised. If we have a hope, for example, that one day, you know, maybe you're going through a difficult time and you say, oh God, I hope that one day I won't suffer. Well, you can hope for that when you die, you won't suffer because that's a promise. So I know after I'm dead, there's no more suffering because that's what the Bible says. That's a realistic hope. But if I hope that 10 years from now, I won't have any suffering in my life, that's an unrealistic hope. That's wishful thinking because God didn't promise me that. The Bible doesn't promise us that. So faith is looking ahead to what God has promised, taking a hold of that realistic expectation and effectively by that faith, kind of dragging it into our present reality so we start living into it. And that's what the writer is saying here. That's why faith is the substance of things hoped for. And then he goes on and says, faith is the evidence of things we cannot see. So those things that we have, the promises we have, they're not visible. We don't see them. But because we have the faith, the idea is that we bring the power of that future world, that future promise, into our present reality. That gives us an evidence or a conviction that what has been promised, what we do not see, what God is doing is coming into our present reality. Coming into our present reality. So for example, I've got a promise from God that his desire is for me to grow up more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Uh, I can have faith that I will become more and more like Jesus because that's a realistic expectation. I have a hope that as I grow, as I continue in my lifelong journey, that I can consistently grow more like Jesus. And as I look to that and I hope on that, that starts to bring it into this present. And then I start to conform more and more like Jesus. The things that I'm having faith for begin to be brought into my reality. Now, this is not wishful thinking, and this is not positive thinking. This is not a name it and claim it kind of reality here. This is looking to God and who he is and what he's promised and how he does things, and then take hold of that, the ways that God operates, and say, okay, I want this in my life. And I'm going to hold on to God until it comes into my life. We've been praying, I've been looking back through my records, and we have been praying actively here at City Temple since 2009, so 10 years now, a decade, we have been praying actively for revival. We have a real hope that God will bring revival. How do we have that hope? Because we've seen God bring revival in the past. He's done it before. 
And we know the situation is ripe in the world today for revival. It's similar to, to times past when God sent revival. And so we are looking ahead and saying, God, we are, have faith that your desire is to revive your people, to revive your church, to pour out your Holy Spirit, to save many, many people in this city. We've got seven and a half million unsaved people within 15 miles of where we are right now. And so we're saying, God, we know what the Bible says. You don't want any to die, uh, but everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth. We know what the Bible says. The Bible teaches us to pray for revival. We know how you've acted in the history, in past history, and so we have faith that you're going to do that again, and so we're going to pray for it, and we're going to believe you for it, because you do it, and you'll do it again. And we act in that confidence until God does it. And we can have confidence that he will. And that's the power. That's the power of faith. And then he goes on to say something that's, that's kind of interesting here. He says, for by it, that's faith, for by faith, the people of old received their uh, commendation. Now, actually, that word there is the word from which we get the word martyr, which simply means a witness. And so one of the ways to, that we might express this is to say that faith is God's witness about us and to us. It's evidence that God has put a stamp on our life and that God is saying, this is my child, this is my son, this is my servant. It's a commendation to us. In other words, if you are living by faith, if you're walking by faith, if you have faith, particularly faith in God through Jesus Christ, Paul tells us that that faith is a gift of God. So that's God doing something in our lives to say, this is my child. And this is good news because so often we think, oh, God must not love me because I don't, I've, I've had this faith, I've had this hope, and it's not a present reality yet, so that must mean God doesn't love me, uh, or I've got this faith, I've got this hope, and, and, and uh, I haven't received all the promises, and so what have I done wrong? You know, what's wrong with me? And it's actually a commendation. The fact that you have faith is God saying, you are my child. It's God saying, my seal is upon you, and you can know that by virtue of the fact that you have faith that I've given you. And you're living in that faith, and you're walking in that faith, and you're acting out of that faith. It's that com commendation. And then, the writer to the Hebrew says another thing. If you're, if you're keeping track, we're on number four. So actually, we're doing pretty well. Uh, on number four, but we're on verse three. How about that? By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, how does this relate to us? Because the universe was made by the word of God. You know, what, what, what is this saying to us? It's reminding us that faith is what brings God's invisible word into present reality. Faith is what, God's, what brings God in, in God's invisible word into present reality. So for example, if, uh, if you encounter somebody who's sick and you've got a nudge 
from the Holy Spirit to pray for them because the Holy Spirit wants to heal that person. Faith is what causes you to step forward to follow that nudge and pray for them. And when they're healed, you have just by faith brought God's invisible word into present reality. And our faith is designed to operate that like that. It's not that we create out of nothing like God created out of nothing. It has to be something that's based on God's word, not our imagination, not, not our you know, wishful thinking, uh, not our wants or desires, but there is a reality that when God speaks to us, either through his word or prophetically, and it really is from the Lord, as we operate by faith on the basis of God's word, it's like we're bringing that word into the present reality because our faith is a substance. It's a substance of these things hoped for. So the presence of our faith and our willing to trust and act on the basis of what God has said, has a power from God to affect that which God has said he wants to affect. So if we're praying for the sick, as led by the Holy Spirit, the, the Lord has spoken to us, he calls us to pray for the sick, there's a real power there. We are actually bringing that healing, if you will, from the invisible realm into the visible by the word of God. And again, this is key. It's by the word of God. It's not a name it, claim it kind of idea. But you can see how some have distorted it that way in the past. It's got to flow from the word of God, from what God is speaking, from what God is saying. But as we act on that, we're taking something that is invisible and starting to make it visible. We're taking something that's invisible and starting to make it visible. And we can see this operate in our lives as we manage our finances in the way that God has told us by his word, there is a blessing that we bring on our finances. There's an actual power that comes that does something substantial to our finances. But it always has to flow from the word of God. Now the rest of these I can go through a little bit more quickly. I hope these are making sense. Number five, faith, the writer here is telling us that faith is what empowers our obedience to God and everything we do for God. It's faith that leads us to obey. If you have faith, you will obey. If you do not obey, you do not have faith, by definition. So this faith is empowering everything we do for God, it empowers our obedience for God. Then number six, the writer here tells us that faith is what enables us to please God. There are a lot of people who do what they want to do, not by faith, but by a sense of obligation or by a sense of, well, if I do this, I might get something out of it. That doesn't please God. God is pleased when we live by faith, when we act by faith, when we walk by faith. That's what enables us to please God. God looks at us with pleasure, not when we do what we think we should do for God, but when we do what God has commanded us to do as an act of faith and as an act of obedience. So this faith enables us to please God, and it actually then gives us the boldness to draw near to God and believe that God will reward those who seek him. 
So when we have faith, what we do is we draw closer to God, we want to know God's heart, we want to know God's mind, and we do that too with the confidence that God wants to bless us, not to harm us. There's a lot of people who live their lives with this idea that somehow God's mad and what he wants to do is somehow uh, curse you or hurt you or punish you, and that's not God's heart. Nothing in the Bible tells us that that's God's heart. God's heart is for us to draw near to him, believing that he wants to bless us, not harm us, and to do that, we need to have faith. We need to have faith. Number seven, I think I will get through these. Faith drives us toward a better country, a heavenly one that God has prepared for us. When we're living by faith, we don't live for this reality. You know, my whole ministry here is not just so City Temple now will be a healthy church. I am looking ahead. I want 20 years from now, when maybe I'm dead, I want City Temple to be a healthy church proclaiming the gospel. 50 years from now, I want City Temple to be a healthy church proclaiming the gospel. And I'm living toward that reality, even though I myself won't see that reality. That's, that's happening by faith. By faith, I know that what I experience in this world will never be all that God has for me. No matter how good the world can be, I'm not living for this world. I'm living to prepare for the next world. Number eight, the writer says that faith enables us to endure suffering and difficulty instead of choosing the fleeting pleasures of sin. I mean, why would we suffer? Why would we deny ourselves? Why would we avoid certain things that feel good if it wasn't for the fact that we have faith? And why would we endure suffering that is promised to us in every book of the New Testament? Why would we endure suffering unless we had faith? It doesn't make sense. Faith is what enables us to endure suffering. Number nine, faith allows us to cross into our promised land and experience victory. You know, every single one of us, individually as well as corporately, have a promised land. That's something that God has promised for your life and over your life, and you step into that by faith. You take the next step by faith. It enables you to cross over and to experience what God has promised for you in this world. Number 10, faith is what empowers us to accomplish mighty deeds. Miracles are done when Christians live by faith. We do many things beyond our natural abilities. Remember our definition. Choosing to trust and act often beyond our natural abilities based in a true knowledge of God and God's ways. Founded in relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. When we have faith, we will do mighty things. Now that doesn't mean that every single day of your life you're going to do a miracle. We often make that mistake. We'll look at uh, the Apostle Paul's life and say, well, Paul did so many miracles, so we, we could expect to do them every day. Well, Paul didn't do miracles every day. The text doesn't tell us that. But Paul did miracles. And those miracles can happen through us. Number 11, faith gives us power to live for the benefit of others so that they might receive the promises of God. That's the last verse. And the last verse can be 
can be so uh, confusing sometimes. I know for years as a young Christian, I questioned, I wondered about this. All these, though commended, though witnessed to by the Lord through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, what the writer is saying is that we live by faith not for ourselves, but for others. And this is one of the fundamental mistakes that a lot of people make and a lot of Christians make. They think, well, I'm coming to church because of the benefits that I get from it. If you come to church for the benefits that you get, actually you're acting out of selfishness and possibly sinfulness. We come to church because God tells us to. We want to obey him. And we come to church so we can strengthen one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. Encourage one another. Help us help one another live for Jesus. Minister to one another. It's for others that we gather for Jesus and for others, not primarily for ourselves. Now, we do get benefits, but the benefits are not primarily for us. They are for others. I'm so thankful that I had parents who made the commitment. They both had to leave school at 12 years old, but they said, we want our son to go to university. And so from a very early age, they began to save and encourage me to study and help me to become the man that I am today so that I could experience something that they would never experience. That's living by faith. All the people of the Old Testament, they did not see Jesus. But they lived by faith for our benefit so that today the Lord Jesus could be proclaimed and glorified and that we could be part of the kingdom. Faith enables us, empowers us, actually drives us to live for other people, realizing that we might not experience the benefits, but others might. I might not experience the full benefits of a healthy city temple 20 years from now, but others will. I may not know your children and your children may not know me 20 years from now, but I can guarantee you that the Lord is depositing something in their life through the word, even though you don't think that they can hear. And I'm doing this for them as much as I'm doing it for you. We live by faith for others into the future. And there's one fact in all of these things that we often miss. It's all the way through the passage, but so often people don't reflect on it. And I'm going to close with this. We often miss that everything in this passage requires an active relationship with God on God's terms through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything, faith, depends on relationship. Without relationship with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you do not have Christian faith. Without relationship with God, there's no power there. It's nothing more than empty believing. We must have relationship with God on God's terms, which means surrendering to God through Jesus Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us up with his power. And when we come to God through Jesus, 
God gives us the faith. He increases the faith. He empowers us to grow in faith so that we might live by faith. Faith requires relationship. Faith requires a true knowledge of God and God's ways. Without that, you cannot live by faith. And you can do none of these things that we mentioned, none of the 11 from 11 can you do without relationship with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you don't have that relationship with God, I encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus today. Just simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. Come and lead my life, forgive my sins, and fill me with faith. And he'll do that. And maybe as a Christian, you realize you've been walking not really by faith, but by what you ought to do, what you thought was best, by some wishful thinking. And if that's you, it's time just to lay that aside and say, Lord, I want real faith. I want Christian faith. And I want to live my life by faith. And God will do it. For God's promises are true. And they are sealed in the Lord's Supper. Through the the bread and the cup, we're reminded that our Father in heaven, who did not spare his only Son, will also not spare any good thing. Through the cup and the bread, we are reminded that Jesus willingly died on the cross, breaking his body, spilling his blood so that we might have true relationship with God, the kind of relationship on which faith depends. And so this table is for all who name the name Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, for all who have surrendered their lives to Jesus. Come and dine and receive and grow in faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you love us, that you've given us faith, that you enable us to live by faith. We worship you, we honor you, we praise you. Now I pray, Father God, that by your spirit, this would be for us the, truly the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. Use them to remind us of your promises. Use them to kindle a renewed hope within us. Use them to raise faith up in our hearts and our minds that we might live by faith every day of our lives in relationship with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.